if you thought we were fired up about Justin Turner coming back on the field after winning a World Series for the Dodgers, you ain't seen nothing yet because we got the next development in this ongoing story. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Progressive Insurance sponsors us, presented by Progressive Insurance, I should say. All guests join us on the show. Benzo at Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Justin Turner will not be disciplined for returning to the field to celebrate his team's championship after testing positive for COVID-19. And uh, this is the easiest way I can say this, Sarah. It took not one, not two, but three statements. One from the mm-hmm. team, one from the league, and one from the player himself to all basically come back and say, well, you know, we're learning and it's, a, you know, it's a, our bad and like we've all looked at it and, you know, gosh golly, sometimes things happen. This is so soft and so week by Major League Baseball, it proves that they don't give a damn about COVID-19, they don't care who gets it, and they don't care who breaks the rules that they flippantly make. I'm so angry because I was thinking to myself, we had a little Friday celebration. We made it through this week to the weekend, which is by far the most anxiety-ridden, nerve-wracking week of my life. I have been on the verge of either tears or puking for most of the week. I've been trying to keep it together, sports talking my way through it all. And then we get handed this pile of poop. And Fitz, I understand that throughout this entire pandemic, we've sort of had to acknowledge and accept that sports during an uncontrollable viral spread is about money. And it's about jobs and it's about giving us something to watch. And for us, it's important, especially because it is our jobs and it's our livelihood. But at no point is it more clear that you wanted to make money and you couldn't give a damn about the people that were making that money for you than having zero consequences for someone who knowingly and blatantly endangers teammates, staff, coaches, media, security, family members, pregnant wives, parents, cancer survivors, and anybody else who agreed to be a part of that postseason but never agreed to be exposed, was in fact promised that because of the testing they were doing, they would not be put in a dangerous situation. And not only was it an accidental one, which would be tough enough to swallow. It was an intentional one. And they have absolutely no spine in handling this this way. If they're trying to cover their own butts because they shouldn't have had him out on the field after an inconclusive and they shouldn't be going on a model that involved tests that didn't arrive till the middle of a game, then fine, cover your own butts in whatever way you need to. But that should not be the impetus for not holding someone accountable who very clearly didn't give a you-know-what about anybody but himself. And in his statement, which is so pathetic, by the way, and didn't need to be six paragraphs, it should have been like, I'm selfish, I wanted to celebrate my World Series, I'm so sorry to all of you out there who didn't say goodbye to your dying relatives and had to cancel your wedding and, and had to say goodbye to family members who passed away. But it was really important for me to celebrate my World Series. Because instead he said, well, I thought there wouldn't be that many people out there, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought. At no point did he think, when he walked out there and saw all the people, you know what, I shouldn't go out there and spread this virus to them. I certainly shouldn't take off my mask next to people. And I certainly then shouldn't make excuses for it. This is so pathetic. And I shouldn't even be surprised anymore by Major League Baseball deciding to tuck its tail and run away from any sign of conflict and any opportunity to actually have a spine and do something because it's what we saw with the Astros as well. But this is so 
gross fits. And if I were any players on any other team or managers or coaches, I would be extremely hesitant to get back into any situation with those people in charge if I have to worry about my health. Not only the players that are involved, but as you've pointed out, the security people, the people that are out on the field, the people that just work around the game that had no say in any of this. By the way, you can be a part of the Spain Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. I'm going to warn you. We're both kind of in a mutant mood, so watch it. Oh, yeah. But ESPN things are, things Nation, are good. <laughs> ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice cold 20 ounce Dr. Pepper today. We'll give you a way to chime in and some fun later on in the show. But th- there's this, this line in the statement that Rob Manfred made that really bothers me. It says, quote, we, have, uh, we all have made mistakes as we navigated these unprecedented challenges and have tried to learn from those mistakes so they are not repeated. With this in mind, I'm closing this matter by applauding Justin for accepting responsibility, apologizing, and making a commitment to set a positive example going forward. My question is how? What commitment has been made? Tell me that, that sets a positive example. Also, what accountability is Major League Baseball taking in their testing protocol that allowed this to happen in the first place? What accountability is Rob Manfred taking in allowing somebody to get back onto the, the field? Because at the end of the day, whatever happens in Major League Baseball lies at the feet of Rob Manfred. So now he's told you that the individual that broke the rules is not responsible, which means Rob Manfred is. So what what responsibility is he taking? And through all of it, accepting responsibility something that, by the way, Major League Baseball has made a joke of throughout their entire process, and and then apologizing, again, a joke from Major League Baseball through all of this tells us that they don't give a damn. And that's the big message for next year. When everybody wonders if COVID-19 goes nowhere and we're suddenly dealing with why these players are fighting over wanting to play next spring, look at this moment because this is the moment where baseball told you they didn't care, and this is the moment where players told you they're going to do whatever the hell they want to and nobody's going to do anything about it. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I want to point out another part of a, of a statement that made me angry. And this is Justin Turner at the end of his statement talking about how he and his wife have held themselves to the highest standards. He said, we work diligently to comply with all of the MLB's protocols throughout the season, heavily involved in the planning of player family safety to ensure the possibility of a postseason, help local businesses stay afloat by ordering meals to help the Dream Center of L.A. feed almost a million Angelinos during COVID lockdown. Through my foundation, I'll continue to support organizations. It reminded me of a quote, and it's from Desmond Tutu. There comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. You throwing your money at the results of COVID does not make up for you contributing to its spread. Congratulations on buying meals for people that are suffering because of the spread of a virus that could be stopped if people weren't selfish like you. You're rich. Congratulations. How about take some personal accountability and not model to everybody else the behavior that they also want? Well, I want to have my birthday party and I want to have my wedding and I want to go to a Halloween party and I want to visit my friends. We're all making those decisions every day and everybody that follows you or looks at MLB and sees that no one is being held accountable for those decisions decides that it's okay in their own lives too and that's why we're still here nine months later worse than ever no closer to an end in sight because people like you don't care because you're selfish you're not going up the river to figure out why this keeps happening you're just throwing money at the problem and as Glennon Doyle would say now you're a foot soldier for the problem itself you're actually helping it continue because you're trying to fix the symptom instead of going to the disease and it's so frustrating Fitz because never in our lives before have we been so negatively affected by the stupidity and ignorance and selfishness of others usually they do it in their own lives and they screw 
themselves over. Well, now we're all being screwed over. And this statement, I'm so angry about it because it's not just about Justin Turner. It's the entire attitude of our country. It's just like, well, he's sorry. And whoops-a-daisy. It's not enough. The, you know, just to be frank, my father-in-law had surgery. I would have loved to have been able to be in the room with him. I couldn't, right? Like, like there are just certain moments that you have to look at and say, I don't care about your World Series championship. I don't care the sacrifice you made. There are people that are dying alone in hospitals because nobody's around allowed to be around them. That's the real world that we live in, and I don't really care about the fact that you were going to miss out with the party with your boys. I don't care about your life sacrifice. I care about the fact that there are people dying and you can't be around them. Rules were set. Rules were broken. Good people do bad things, and when good people do bad things, and maybe he's a good person with the money he's given, fine. Good people do bad things, and when they do bad things, they should be punished for it. That's the opportunity that Major League Baseball missed. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We'll get into it more as the uh, as the night continues obviously don't forget tune into a football doubleheader this Sunday the Bills host the Seahawks followed by the Steelers at Cowboys pregame begins at noon Eastern on most ESPN radio stations speaking of those big games we're going to break down what we think of two of our biggest games coming up next Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio Starting this Monday. Do you know what I've lived through as a fan of this franchise? The video stream of Greeny with Mike Greenberg is on ESPN+. Plus. I'm going to be optimistic because it costs the same as being pessimistic. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, The Max Kellerman Show, Dan Lebitard, and Janae Angola Jr. can now be seen exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. With ESPN+, Plus, you'll get access to each show, plus live sports, exclusive originals, and more. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get back into the Major League Baseball stuff in just a few minutes. Uh, in about 10 minutes, Jeff Passon will join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. In the meantime, uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier. With more than 30 coverage options available, Progressive has you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. A lot of big games this weekend in the NFL, Sarah, and we always do, and we will do later in the show, some pick six. We'll give our picks throughout the the, uh, the spectrum of what we expect on Sunday. But there are two games in particular that we both are excited about that stands out. And I want to start with the Seahawks and the Bills because, for me, I'm trying to figure out exactly who the Bills are. Now, we know at this point who the Seahawks are. Their defense is going to be meh, and their offense and Russ is going to bail them out, and it's going to be great. DK Metcalf is going to be a delight. We get all that. But the Bills have been incredibly up and down. They've, they've played well against bad teams, and they've played poorly against good teams. They've had their, their moments where all of a sudden I feel great that I picked them for the playoffs, and then they have moments where I feel like they forget how to football. So where are you on this matchup? Yeah, I, I feel the same way as you. We were talking about this in prep for Around the Horn today, and we ended up not getting into this game on the air. But I had the same exact feeling. It's The, the Seahawks are going to do what they do. We're going to be dazzled by their offense and disappointed by their defense, although that there are some players coming back that could make for a better showing on the defensive side for the Seahawks. The Bills, 6-2 and two team, came in with really high expectations, especially with their division being wide open for the first time in two decades. Um, and... I continue to be confused by Josh Allen. Um, like you pointed out, he's that guy who forgets how to football. Sometimes he's doing stuff that's a, that you say this is their guy, and they've got it made at quarterback for however long, decades. Um, young, talented, big, fast, guy can scoot, he's got an arm. And then sometimes he just makes these errors, the fumbles, the, the interceptions. Um, and so I think 
as Josh Allen goes, so too do the Bills. Um, you know, the the Bills have other weaknesses. Um, they've they've got some other pieces that they need to shore up and, and be more consistent with. But in the end, to me, it's about don't make the mistakes that give the other team a chance to score quickly and to get ahead by a bunch. And and that usually comes in the form of those fumbles and picks. Well, and with Josh Allen, I think it's fair to say that there's a higher level of expectation. There's this weird thing around Josh where Bills fans have been very protective of Josh Allen and feel that the media has been very difficult on Josh Allen. I think we have at times, but the film right. breakdown has shown what. Right. It, the difference this year is that there are players around Josh that are capable, that are very good. And I'll go back to Bill Barnwell coming into the season when he ranks the offensive weapons, you know, in 20 19, he ranked them 25th with their offensive weapons. Coming into this season, coming into 2020, he ranked them 8th. And I think with that increase in offensive weapons around, it's fair to say that maybe there's a heightened level of expectation even from Bills fans on how Josh Allen should look. You know, and, and that yeah. that's the part that I'm trying to figure out. Like, if you're a Bills fan, where are you on this? Because everybody sort of sort of presumes that the the collective non-Buffalo media is anti-Josh. I don't think that's the, the case. I just think that people have a, a high expectation expectation for a quarterback that's been around for a few years to take a jump. This should have been a jump year. I also think, Fitz, that expectations come into play based on the, the fan base you're dealing with. There's been a lot of disappointment in Buffalo, and there's been a lot of ennui about having to always face big, bad Tom Brady and Belichick and the Patriots. So the excitement about playoff appearances, the excitement about a new quarterback and having a shot um, kind of the dulls a little bit of, of what we might see a more successful team uh, be critical of, right? There are teams that, um you know, the fan base gets pretty excited even though there's some glaring concerns. The Bills, statistically, are pretty average. They're 13th in total offense. They're 16th in total defense. Their point differential is one point difference. They've scored 198 points. They've allowed 199. They probably shouldn't be 6-2, and two, right, if they have only scored <laughs> one a fewer point than they've allowed. Um, and yet somehow here they are. So are you excited that they've outperformed maybe what the numbers would tell you? Or would you like to be more skeptical about the second half? Because it's Buffalo, it feels like the latter. Uh, quickly, I will Or the also, former, I should say. Being more enthusiastic than they maybe could be. I'll say quickly before we move to the other game. You know, as a, as a Vegas Raiders fan, I always complain about when my team has to go east. And then I, I was given this beautiful nugget by Stats and Info at ESPN. Since Russell Wilson entered the NFL, Seattle has the best record in the entire NFL on the road in the Eastern time zone. They've won 10 straight games on the East Mm. Coast, including the playoffs. That's the second longest streak all time by a team from the Pacific time zone that trails only the 49ers in the 87 to 90 season. So, my God, for all the fans that sit out there and say, why are you making us play on the East Coast? Boy, the Seahawks and Russ are just laughing at that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN (laughs) Radio, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. The other big game that we want to get to, Ravens-Colts in another sort of prove-it moment. Because, again, I'll I'll be honest, I I thought Phillip Rivers was a bad signing for the Colts. I'm still not sure that he's going to be a great quarterback for him. I think this is a really key game because you've got can Lamar Jackson bounce back against a pretty good Colts defense, but conversely, can Phillip Rivers continue to play at a high level at all against a Ravens defense that I think should be able to take it to him? So I think this is also a bit of a prove-it game for two teams that feel like everybody's waiting to anoint them as the second-best team in the AFC. 
Yeah, so many more questions about the Ravens than I would have anticipated preseason after last year. Uh, questions about Lamar Jackson and questions about just how good that team is. And the Colts have actually surprised me. Their defense has been really good. And uh, Mina Kimes on NFL Live today uh, had everybody cracking up. She made the Phillip Rivers face and said, if he's making this face because of a pick, it's a bad sign for the Colts. Uh, and she talked about how this is going to come down to those mistakes. If Philip Rivers doesn't turn the ball over, as we know he is prone to do at times when he's under pressure, the Colts will win. Both of these defenses are really good. They're really good. They're better than the offenses. They both have really ball-hawking secondaries, physical players. Whichever quarterback makes more mistakes is going to be the quarterback of the team that loses this game. It's a simple – it's very obvious. Okay, by the way, the – the weird noises that sounded either either uh, like someone was working out or potentially engaging in sexual intercourse, uh, that was people still laughing at Mina making the face that she made. Uh, it was a little bit distracting, uh, but I just wanted to let you guys know that that was neither of us. Uh, that was Marcus Spears and Ryan Clark. Which is also incredible. And you're, you, by the way, you're right. Working with Mina, like the faces are one of the most charming parts <laughs> of it. We'll be, we'll be honest about that. I, look, I, if I got one quarterback I'm going to trust, and this is nobody's going to agree with me in the entire world. If I got one quarterback I'm going to trust in this game, it's going to be Lamar Jackson. It's not going to be Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers is a gunslinger that likes to take chances, and he gets away with those chances, but his arm isn't what it used to be, and that's part of what bit him in the butt as the Chargers quarterback over the last few years. I mean, let's remember that it was supposed to be addition by subtraction just by Phillip Rivers leaving for what Chargers fans hoped would be Tom Brady because of the weapons there was going to make the Chargers an electric team to watch, right? Like, that's that's how much of a hindrance Phillip Rivers has been at times for the Chargers. I still believe that's Phillip Rivers against a good defense. Defense and he's playing a good defense. So I have no reason to trust that Phillip Rivers won't make a key turnover. I Man, you sound a lot more secure in that choice than I am. This is about the Ravens' rush attack and the Colts' run defense to me. Um, this is the second stingiest run D in the league and a team in the Ravens that between their quarterback and their, and their running backs um, likes to move the ball on the ground. And, you know, if – the Colts come out and, and get some some turnovers and they force Lamar Jackson to make mistakes and they respect him but don't fear him, they could be in a good position in this one. I do think that the Ravens are a better team, but from what we've seen is if they get behind it all, they struggle. Lamar Jackson is not a good come-from-behind player. So if the Colts' defense hits early, this could be tough for them. Yeah, you are right about that, and uh, I, I am interested to see what that matchup looks like. Plus, I'm interested to see him what bounce back is from Lamar Jackson. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously he's coming off of a game that is forgettable, and we always presume that athletes with that chip on their shoulder are going to find a way to bounce back and come back to another level. He can silence a lot of critics if he comes out and plays lights out. Don't forget, tune in for college football action tomorrow. Texas hosts West Virginia. That's presented by Goodyear. Coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We'll keep breaking down all the NFL uh, games. we got a lot to get into over the course of the next couple hours, but there was big, and I mean big news out of Major League Baseball that Sarah and I have been fired up about. We'll talk to Jeff Passan next about what he thinks on our opinion. Spain and Fitz. Oh, baseball. Season's over and Still causing tons of controversy. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We already gave our opinions on uh, Justin Turner a little bit earlier and on the Spain and Fitz Nation at B1 Ueski. 
I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, Paul Kim, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, why is Manfred making me hate the game that I love? The excuses all parties involved are making is making me angry. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. We're angry, too. And uh, join us and perhaps make us feel better or worse. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless with the ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passant on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Uh, Jeff, I'm g- genuinely infuriated by this, I think because it says to me, just letting Justin Turner skate is there's no accountability for what he did. And it's a larger message about how the entire country is acting selfishly around the pandemic. Why do you think they ended up deciding to just say, eh, you said you're sorry, so that's good enough? Sarah, I think there were legitimate concerns that if they penalized him, the Major League Baseball Players Association was going to appeal that penalty and win. And at that point, it was almost going to be like, uh, okay, I guess, uh, you know, all systems go for players who want to run afoul of uh, coronavirus protocols. And yet, after I tweeted the news that Justin Turner had, in fact, skated by without any penalty, Brett Anderson, a, a longtime pitcher, responded to me and said, so I can go back to licking my fingers in between pitches without penalty next year. Sweet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that... And, and that kind of illustrates to you uh, where things are at right now. I'm not going to say it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for baseball, because uh, as as they said in their release, this was partially of their own making as well. Like they did not have a protocol in place to get Justin Turner out of the stadium after he tested positive, which absolutely should have been there. But uh, I think once once the deed was done, uh, it was going to be tough to penalize him. It was going to be tough not to penalize him. They had already lost. But, all right, so Jeff, forgive my aggression in this question. All right, I, I, I apologize in advance, but this is not the first time I've heard, well, if we punish harshly, the Major League Baseball Players Association will simply take us to court and may win. I, I don't understand because that was part of the narrative we heard around the Astros punishment as well. Like, at what point yeah. does Major League Baseball not stand up, grow some, and actually in, issue a punishment? And if they want to take it and fight it, at least it's the Players Association that look like idiots for going in and fighting it, not Major League Baseball. So let's play that thing out then, Fitz. What happens if you go into an arbitration setting and MLB loses? Doesn't that invalidate all of the protocols? Doesn't that say that all of the protocols aren't going to stand up inside of this court of law and thus uh, the the players are not going to be bound by anything. I but think that's do, does the, doesn't the does opposite the fear, do the same? Well, uh, no, I, and I'll say, Jeff. Does, no, no, I don't, I, Sarah, I don't think. Just to answer your question. I don't think it does. I, I don't think players are actually going to look at this and say, "Well, I can actively go out and break protocol right now." I, <sighs> I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think as long as the rules are in place and untested the vast, vast majority are going to follow them. All you have to do is look at everyday life. Like, there are situations where we can break laws all the time, right? But we choose not to. We choose not to for the greater good, for the greater interest of society. And I think that was the frustrating part about what Justin Turner did. There was no greater good being thought of. It was a purely selfish thing, something that he copped to. I I don't know. You know, he apologized. I don't know if he's he's that apologetic. I, I, I don't think that he would have traded the moments that he had there for the grief he took afterward, I think it was worth it to him. And that's the frustrating part of this whole thing. That's the infuriating part that 
he made a decision that was for himself and essentially ended up uh, getting away with it. Do they not need to fix then whatever their punishment system is if we're in a world? Because, I, frankly, Jeff, I disagree with you. I mean, what we've seen now is mm-hmm. twice in the last year on penalties where because they're afraid that they'll lose in court, they don't issue a penalty, which tells a player, I mean, don't do it unless you do it, in which case we can't do anything about it. Like, at what point do they not do they need somebody to come in as a third party or an arbitrator to, to fix punishment issues? Well, here's the thing, Fitz, and this reminds me of something that happened about 15 years ago when Major League Baseball was first punishing players for using performance-enhancing drugs. Now, I'm not going to equate certainly going out uh, you know, on the field without a mask to using PEDs. They're, they're apples and oranges, but I think the point is very early on in those punishments, uh, it was clear that they were too soft. And MLB and the union sat down together, and over time, the punishments increased to the level that they're at right now, where, I, you know, I, I think they're pretty fair at this point. It seems like a happy medium. And if you go and look back at what happened after the cheating, you know, there, there are actual penalties in place now for players. And I'm not saying that this is right. Like, this, there, there's a lot of, of chicanery that has gone on and gone unpunished And it makes complete sense for you to sit here and be infuriated by it. Like, I totally get that. But I I think when they follow that without changing things, that's the problem. And I think Major League Baseball and the Players Association now have to sit down and put some actual rules in place for what happens if protocol is broken so that the players understand, well, you know, Justin Turner slipped by because we didn't have anything good in place. But uh, if you try to do it going forward, uh, we're going to have uh, harsher penalties in place. Yeah, and to me, there also just needs to be a conversation about uh, whatever it is that allows them to make decisions that aren't completely written out in the rules. Like, there are plenty of things that you could punish that happen in a league that aren't delineated word for word in some sort of policy. They need there, to feel there, strong there, enough there, about there, there, your fight. There, there are, no, you're, you're not wrong. There are, like, there is the ability to do that, but it's also a much higher burden of proof that you have to have in place. I, I get it, but everyone keeps saying this, Pass, and if you can't punish someone who voluntarily and intentionally went out with an infectious viral disease that you spent an entire season trying to prevent people from getting and cut your season to 60 games and had a bubble and tested every day, if you can't punish that because you're like, oh, I don't know if we'll be able to hold up, then what are we even doing? I don't know, Sarah. What are they doing? Exactly. I just I just think that's such a lame response is, oh, well, they're just not sure it would hold with the Players Association. Then they are then they got to start fresh. That's that just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that's what they're doing, though, right? Like if, if you're if you're going back over and saying we screwed up and and this was wrong and there should be something in place and then they put something in place. I mean, that is learning from your mistake. And, and I think there was an acknowledgement today that there were mistakes that were made and, and that the reason that Justin Turner skated by is because they didn't have a better policy. Again, but isn't it, it the same a, thing that happened with the Astros? Wouldn't they have learned from that, to Fitz's well, point? If we can't use punishment against things because we're afraid of our Players Association, why wasn't it already amended? Yeah, I think we need to look at the, the role of the Players Association, too, though. Like, having, having an organization in place to stand up for players when players run afoul of things is not an inherently bad thing. And, and I think that, 
you're almost implicitly saying that the Players Association's role in this is negative. But the, the Players Association needs to be there so that Major League Baseball can't unilaterally go and punish. Because if it can, all of a sudden, what are we left with, Sarah? Well, I'm not pro player protection, but not if the result is we're afraid of the player protection, so well, we won't punish at all. Let, let me at least quickly chime in here, though, Jeff. Uh, would that not? And I don't disagree with you. That I understand the role of the Players Association. There is also the role of court of public opinion. At some point for Major League Baseball to stand up, even if it means that they're going to stand up and they lose at some point, isn't the ultimate loss in that situation the loss of the public opinion that goes to the players who will be seen as the ones that are the monsters, not Major League Baseball? Jason, here's the problem with that. It's that we're in our own vacuums where the court of public opinion tends to be what we believe and what those who have similar beliefs to us believe. There was a large swath of people, and you can say that it's wrong, and I personally would not disagree with you. There was a large swath of people who had absolutely no problem with what Justin Turner did. And listen, COVID denialism is a real thing, and, and it's something that we're grappling with as a country right now, and it's something that I particularly find to be problematic. But if court of public opinion is the case here, we better look at the whole of the public opinion and recognize that there were a ton of people out there who saw what happened to Justin with Justin Turner and said, oh, well, he did what he did, and he doesn't deserve punishment. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, because we're out of time here, uh, Alex Cora is back in Boston. That's no surprise to me. I feel like, especially watching Mookie Betts lead the Dodgers to a title, they just want to get back on track and give people a good team to root for. They don't really care much if there's a, a little bit of frustration about him being back so soon. Uh, do you think that at this point people were even care much about it, considering none of the players got punished? I, I think there's still some – it almost ties into that, right? You know, I know Alex Scora got suspended for a year and A.J. Hinch got suspended for a year. But uh, when when you look at what happened, neither of them really lost their job. I mean, Alex Scora literally did not lose his job. He went back to the exact same job. A.J. Hinch went to a job with the Detroit Tigers that's, and not, you know, not as high profile. They don't have quite as good of a team as the Astros do, but he's going to be managing a baseball team again. And so – uh, I, th- I think throughout the sport, there's definitely frustration. If you want to talk about, like, lack of punishment, there is definitely frustration that people are coming back into the sport uh, really with the, the slate clean, uh, considering the gravity of what happened with the, the numerous cheating scandals. And yet here we are in this same sport that welcomes players back with arms wide open who had tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. That Pandora's box was opened years ago. So the the way that they've acted now, it's of no surprise at all. Hmm. Well, we appreciate the uh, fiery exchange, Jeff. Hope you have a great weekend. Do you really, though? I do. I hope we all have a great weekend. No, no, I meant that sincerely. I hope we all have a great weekend. I appreciated the fiery exchange. I think it was useful. Here's here's the thing. I, for the most part, I actually agree with you. But I think there needs to be that other side, that scene. There needs to be a debate on this. You have to understand, I, I don't think that it's nearly as one-sided as you do. I get both yeah, sides of the argument. That's, that's fair. You're allowed not, to feel I'm, that I'm way. Not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to both sides it here. I know that's not allowed these days. But uh, I, I think that it's, it's an important thing to be heard because we get so – loud and and we get so angry about this stuff but uh man there there are solutions here that can be had and it may not be satisfying right now that one wasn't but hopefully going forward we all get it right yeah agreed hopefully that there are solutions that aren't simply 
whoops-a-daisy, which is what it feels like this one was. Uh, Jeff Bassett, our ESPN MLB insider with us here, giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Devontae Adams was eaten last night. What have you been eating all week? We're going to find out next. Oh, baseball. Season's over and still causing tons of controversy. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We already gave our opinions on uh, Justin Turner a little bit earlier and on the Spain and Fitz Nation at B1 Ueski. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Paul Kim hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, why is Manfred making me hate the game that I love? The excuses all parties involved are making is making me angry. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. We're angry, too. And to uh, join us and perhaps make us feel better or worse, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless with the ESPN MLB insider Jeff Passant on the Shell Pennzoil performance line. Uh, Jeff, I'm g- genuinely infuriated by this, I think because it says to me, just letting Justin Turner skate is there's no accountability for what he did. And it's a larger message about how the entire country is acting selfishly around the pandemic. Why do you think they ended up deciding to just say, yeah, you said you're sorry. So that's good enough. Sarah, I think there were legitimate concerns that if they penalized him, the major league baseball players association was going to appeal that penalty and win. And at that point it was almost going to be like, uh, okay, I guess, uh, you know, all systems go for players who want to run afoul of uh, coronavirus protocols. And yet, after I tweeted the news that Justin Turner had, in fact, skated by without any penalty, Brett Anderson, a, a longtime pitcher, responded to me and said, so I can go back to licking my fingers in between pitches without penalty next year. Sweet. Mm-hmm. And, 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 that, and, and that kind of illustrates to you, uh, where things are at right now. I'm not going to say it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for baseball because, uh, as as they said in their release, this was partially of their own making as well. Like, they did not have a protocol in place to get Justin Turner out of the stadium after he tested positive, which absolutely should have been there. But uh, I think once once the deed was done, uh, it was going to be tough to penalize him. It was going to be tough not to penalize him. They had already lost. But, all right, so Jeff, forgive my aggression in this question. All right, I, I, I apologize in advance, but this is not the first time I've heard, well, if we punish harshly, the Major League Baseball Players Association will simply take us to court and may win. I, I don't understand because that was part of the narrative we heard around the Astros punishment as well. Like, at what point yeah. does Major League Baseball not stand up, grow some, and actually in, issue a punishment? And if they want to take it and fight it, at least it's the Players Association that look like idiots for going in and fighting it, not Major League Baseball. So let's play that thing out then, Fitz. What happens if you go into an arbitration setting and MLB loses? Doesn't that invalidate all of the protocols? Doesn't that say that all of the protocols aren't going to stand up inside of this court of law and thus uh, the the players are not going to be bound by anything. I but think that's do, the does the, doesn't the does opposite the fear, do the same? Well, uh, no, I, and I'll say, Jeff. Does, no, no, I don't, I, Sarah, I don't think. J- just to answer your question. I don't think it does. I, I don't think players are actually 
going to look at this and say, well, I can actively go out and break protocol right now. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think as long as the rules are in place and untested, the vast, vast majority are going to follow them. All you have to do is look at everyday life. Like th- there are situations where we can break laws all the time, right? But we choose not to. We choose not to for the greater good, for the greater interest of society. And I think that was the frustrating part about what Justin Turner did. There was no greater good being thought of. It was a purely selfish thing, something that he copped to. I, I don't know. You know, he apologized. I don't know if he's, if he's that apologetic. I, I, I don't think that he would have traded the moments that he had there for the grief he took afterward. I think it was worth it to him. And that's the frustrating part of this whole thing. That's the infuriating part that, he made a decision that was for himself and essentially ended up uh, getting away with it. Do they not need to fix then whatever their punishment system is if we're in a world? Because, I, frankly, Jeff, I disagree with you. I mean, what we've seen now is mm-hmm. twice in the last year on penalties where because they're afraid that they'll lose in court, they don't issue a penalty, which tells a player, I mean, don't do it unless you do it, in which case we can't do anything about it. Like, at what point do they not? Do they need somebody to come in as a third party or an arbitrator to to, to fix punishment issues. Well, here's the thing, Fitz, and this reminds me of something that happened about 15 years ago when Major League Baseball was first punishing players for using performance-enhancing drugs. Now, I'm not going to equate certainly going out uh, you know, on the field without a mask to using PEDs. They're, they're apples and oranges, but I think the point is very early on in those punishments, uh, it was clear that they were too soft. And MLB and the union sat down together, and over time, the punishments increased to the level that they're at right now, where, I, you know, I, I think they're pretty fair at this point. It seems like a happy medium. And if you go and look back at what happened after the cheating, you know, there, there are actual penalties in place now for players. And I'm not saying that this is right. Like, this, there, there's a lot of, of chicanery that has gone on and gone unpunished And it makes complete sense for you to sit here and be infuriated by it. Like, I totally get that. But I I think when they follow that without changing things, that's the problem. And I think Major League Baseball and the Players Association now have to sit down and put some actual rules in place for what happens if protocol is broken so that the players understand, well, you know, Justin Turner slipped by because we didn't have anything good in place. But uh, if you try to do it going forward, uh, we're going to have uh, harsher penalties in place. Yeah, and to me, there also just needs to be a conversation about uh, whatever it is that allows them to make decisions that aren't completely written out in the rules. Like, there are plenty of things that you could punish that happen in a league that aren't delineated word for word in some sort of policy. They there, need there, to feel there, strong there, enough there, about there, there, your fight. There, there are, no, you're, you're not wrong. There are, like, there is the ability to do that, but it's also a much higher burden of proof that you have to have in place. I, I get it, but everyone keeps saying this, Pass, and if you can't punish someone who voluntarily and intentionally went out with an infectious viral disease that you spent an entire season trying to prevent people from getting and cut your season to 60 games and had a bubble and tested every day, if you can't punish that because you're like, oh, I don't know if we'll be able to hold up, then what are we even doing? I don't know, Sarah. What are they doing? Exactly. I just I just think that's such a lame response is, oh, well, they're just not sure it would hold with the Players Association. Then they are then they got to start fresh. That's that just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that's what they're doing, though, right? 
Like I, if if you're if you're going back over and saying we screwed up and and this was wrong and there should be something in place and then they put something in place, I mean that is learning from your mistake. And and I think there was an acknowledgement today that there were mistakes that were made and and that the reason that Justin Turner skated by is because they didn't have a better policy. Again, but isn't it, it the same a, thing that happened with the Astros? Wouldn't they have learned from that? To Fitz's well, point, if we can't mm-hmm. use punishment against things because we're afraid of our players association why wasn't it already amended yeah i think we need to look at the the role of the players association too though like having having an organization in place to stand up for players when players run afoul of things is not an inherently bad thing and and i think that you're almost implicitly saying that the players association's role in this is negative but the the players association needs to be there so that Major League Baseball can't unilaterally go and punish. Because if it can, all of a sudden, what are we left with, Sarah? Well, I'm yeah. no, no, player I, I, protection, I but not if the result is we're afraid of the player protection, so well, we won't punish at all. Let, let me at least quickly chime in here, though, Jeff. Uh, would that not? And I don't disagree with you. That I understand the role of the Players Association. There is also the role of court of public opinion. At some point for Major League Baseball to stand up, even if it means that they're going to stand up and they lose at some point, isn't the ultimate loss in that situation the loss of the public opinion that goes to the players who will be seen as the ones that are the monsters, not Major League Baseball? Jason, here's the problem with that. It's that we're in our own vacuums where the court of public opinion tends to be what we believe and what those who have similar beliefs to us believe. There was a large swath of people, and you can say that it's wrong, and I personally would not disagree with you. There was a large swath of people who had absolutely no problem with what Justin Turner did. And listen, COVID denialism is a real thing, and, and it's something that we're grappling with as a country right now, and it's something that I particularly find to be problematic. But if court of public opinion is the case here, we better look at the whole of the public opinion and recognize that there were a ton of people out there who saw what happened to Justin with Justin Turner and said, oh, well, he did what he did, and he doesn't deserve punishment. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, because we're out of time here, uh, Alex Cora is back in Boston. That's no surprise to me. I feel like, especially watching Mookie Betts lead the Dodgers to a title, they just want to get back on track and give people a good team to root for. They don't really care much if there's a, a little bit of frustration about him being back so soon. Uh, do you think that at this point people were even care much about it, considering none of the players got punished? I, I think there's still some – it almost ties into that, right? You know, I know Alex Scora got suspended for a year and A.J. Hinch got suspended for a year. But uh, when when you look at what happened, neither of them really lost their job. I mean, Alex Scora literally did not lose his job. He went back to the exact same job. A.J. Hinch went to a job with the Detroit Tigers. That's, and not, you know, not as high profile. They don't have quite as good of a team as the Astros do. But he's going to be managing a baseball team again. And so – uh, I, th- I think throughout the sport, there's definitely frustration. If you want to talk about, like, lack of punishment, there is definitely frustration that people are coming back into the sport uh, really with the, the slate clean, uh, considering the gravity of what happened with the, the numerous cheating scandals. And yet here we are in this same sport that welcomes players back with arms wide open who had tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. That Pandora's box was opened years ago. So the the way that they've acted now, it's of no surprise at all. Hmm. Well, we appreciate the uh, fiery exchange, Jeff. Hope you have a great weekend. 
do you really though? I, I do. Sure. I, do. I, I hope we all have a great weekend because I need. Here, no, no, I meant that here. sincerely. I hope we all have a great weekend. I appreciated the fiery exchange. I think it was useful. No, see, here's here's the thing. I for the most part, I actually agree with you, but I think there needs to be that other side that scene. There needs to be a debate on this. You have to understand. I I don't think that it's nearly as one-sided as you do. I get both yeah, sides of the argument. That's, that's fair. You're allowed not, to feel I'm, that I'm way. Not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to both sides it here. I know that's not allowed these days, but uh, I, I think that it's, it's an important thing to be heard because we get so loud and, and we get so angry about this stuff, but, uh, man, there, there are solutions here that can be had, and it may not be satisfying right now that one wasn't, but hopefully going forward we all get it right. Yeah, agreed. Hopefully that there are solutions that aren't simply whoops-a-daisy, which is what it feels like this one was. Uh, Jeff Bassett, our ESPN MLB insider with us here, giving you the Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, Devontae Adams was eaten last night. What have you been eating all week? We're going to find out next. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Sarah, it just always feels weird to me to think that Notre Dame is actually in the ACC. Like 2020 uh-huh. has been such a strange year that I almost compartmentalize that. And then there's this, oh, yeah, moment until we realize that that's what we get tomorrow. Number one, Clemson versus number four, Notre Dame. So let's get a little preview of it. For that, we'll head to the Shell Penzo Performance Line, where we're joined by Eric McLean from the ACC Network. Eric, big man, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you joining us. I'm trying to figure out, because I've heard a couple of smart people that I trust, uh, and Trevor Maddish being one, saying that I am I see this the wrong way. Tell me why uh, I, I think Clemson's going to just run all over them. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong, so I'll tell you why you're right. Uh, Ooh, this this okay. team that Clemson has is going to flex their muscles. They're going to show their unbelievable depth. You know, they're missing a lot of people in this game. Uh, but then you look at the roster and who's up next. It's a bunch of five stars. Everywhere you look, it's a guy who is either waiting in the wing for his opportunity uh, or a developmental guy. He's a young guy. He's a freshman, and he's a five-star. So I'm with you, Fitz. I think that, uh, you know, Notre Dame's offense just has no explosive ability through the air consistently. Sure, they'll find a a big play here and there where, you know, they might throw a a back shoulder ball, and and somehow it's an 80-yard touchdown. But there is no consistency through the air. Uh, they're not going to be able to run the ball on Clemson, similar to Pitt. Uh, but unlike Pitt, uh, I don't think they're going to find the success uh, that they did through the air. I know Ian Book had a, a good game that game, had 300-plus yards, three touchdowns, but he was only 53% passing. Uh, and four of the balls, by my count, went right through Pitt defenders' hands, like easy interceptions. Clemson is not going to allow that to happen. They're going to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, and I'm with you, Fitz. I think the Tigers are going to are gonna roll. Uh, Eric, I was the only one on Around the Horn today who said the same. Everybody else picked Notre Dame. I think it comes down to what you said, Ian Book versus that Clemson secondary. Um, I know we had a very limited look at DJ Uangalele, but I, I, I still think there's a chance that what he could become might be better than what we already know of, of, of Ian Book and his limitations. How big of, a, of, of is, is it about DJU? and not about Etienne or the defense. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be something where you look at his progression, and, and he honestly is a better quarterback right now than Ian Book. When, when you yeah. look at his abilities, when you look at the big arm, when you look at his decision-making, 
uh, to go down the field and not being afraid of that. Ian is more of a game manager and, and throws when he needs to, very uh, you know dynamic and, and able to extend plays, but sometimes to a fault. Sometimes he's running out of a very clean pocket that he should have stayed in and, and delivered a strike down the field. So I think it is going to come down to to what uh, offensively Clemson can do with Travis Etienne. You know, do they move him around? Do they put him in the slot? Do they put him out wide and, and just try to find the best po- possible situation, the best matchup? For him to go against and I think that's where you're gonna are gonna see the success if Travis is you know the leading receiver in this game and leading rusher uh which which I really think is is more than possible uh that's where I think Clemson you know they can start doing anything they want on offense what's it like we're talking to Eric McLean from the ACC network I mean with with DJ he's 6'4 and 250 6'5 250 right, right? like he's <laughs> he's a mountain of a man and that's very different from Trevor Lawrence so from your standpoint I mean I'm talking to a former lineman right like when you're talking about dealing with a quarterback that is so different than the quarterback you're used to what sort of adjustment do you have to make as an offense You know it's it's interestingly enough last game we we didn't see a, a huge flux in the game plan right so it's we, we saw them uh, admittedly so from the offensive coordinator, call a game that, that was based upon and planned for Trevor Lawrence. So, so you know, to answer that question last week, nothing. It wasn't different. This week, I expect that we're going to see uh, more quarterback run, design quarterback run, specifically quarterback power. He's too big, he's too strong, and he's already proven that that's what he does and that's what he's good at for that not to be a part of the game plan. And, and any time you have that, where you have the best weapon, and Travis Etienne when he can be a diversion, when he can be split out wide, and we think that's where it's going, and then we, we're running it with the quarterback. So I think this week, Fitz, is when you're going to see that really start to be different just because you can call a, a different plays and maybe do different things on offense. Talking to Eric McLean of the ACC Network on the Shell Pennzoil performance line here on Spain and Fitz, I saw that uh, there's an 82% shot for either of these teams to make the uh, title te- title game, even if they lose, no matter which one loses. But it's massively more affecting to Notre Dame if they don't win in terms of the playoff projection. Um, how likely do you think it is that they can survive? I think Clemson's got a good shot for the committee to say, okay, Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. We like how this team looks. But if Notre Dame can't beat a Trevor Lawrence-less team, how good is their argument even if they finish the season strong? Yeah, Sarah, I think that's where it gets really hairy. You're looking at this Clemson team without their starting quarterback, the, the best player in the country, the best quarterback in the country. They're, they're playing a Clemson defense that doesn't have their captain, doesn't have the guy that calls uh, the defense on the field. And James Skowski, uh, another linebacker, and Mike Jones, who's very versatile and does a lot of things for Clemson, and a starting defensive tackle. So, so you're looking at all these different things for Clemson that – Notre Dame, if you cannot take advantage of, you know, there's no business even discussing a, a playoff, you know, victory. Now, if they lose this game and then go on to beat Clemson in the ACC championship, sure, I think a one-loss ACC champion will be in. Uh, but that's a lot of what-ifs and a lot of things that have to happen outside of your, uh, you know, control. Eric, every college football fan that's watched any Clemson game has heard the name Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator. I feel like he's the difference maker in this, and the reason that I don't believe in Ian Book is because I believe that Brent Venables is going to be able to scheme up anything he wants to slow down Ian's ability to figure out what's coming. So from your standpoint, somebody that you obviously know well, what is it that he does so well to get guys in there to plug and play? 
Yeah, he, he does a great job, Fitz, of, of identifying who he has and using uh, the skill set, the player strength that he has on his team. You think of 2018 uh, where Clemson, you know, won the national championship 15-0, and had three first-round draft picks on the defensive line and another two defensive linemen that went on to get drafted. That was the strength of his team. A year later, he has the, the weapon X, Isaiah Simmons, and totally changes his defense, goes to a three – three, five, and just totally has to call things that he never has before. And then now this year, kind of doing a combination of both. So Fitz, he just identifies what his guys can do. He doesn't have a scheme that he's going to run no matter what. He, he's going to run a scheme that fits his player's skill, skill sets, excuse me, and that fits what he has uh, to work with. And I think that's what makes him so dangerous. He's going to bring pressure. He's going to try to confuse you with different looks. And typically when Clemson has a bad defensive performance, giving up 21 points, 28 in total to Boston College, they normally respond like playing lights out, taking it to another level. So that's why I tell you guys, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be able to run similar to Pitt. And then I think Clemson's going to take real advantage and opportunity uh, of those passes that are thrown that are in the danger zone. Quickly, before we let you go, it's been a very stressful week maybe some stress leading up to this game that we all just said Clemson will win, so we'll all be wrong if, if Notre Dame takes it. What do you eat when you're stressed? What's your go-to? Oh, man, I'm, I'm a big Ben & Jerry's guy, so Ooh. all the flavors. I love the the fan exclusives, the, the the different things. Like, you can go to some some stores like Whole Foods or something, and they have a flavor that nobody else has. So yeah. I, I like finding those. I'm a big Ben & Jerry guy. Did you ever have Bovinity Divinity? <laughs> I'm not. That, that sounds okay. amazing. It's in the though. flavor graveyard. It was a spectacular, like milk chocolate and vanilla swirl, and then wow. dark fudge cows in it. I, it was I am, magical. I am very saddened that I missed out on that. Uh, all <laughs> I know is I'm pitching a show to the ACC Network now, where we just sit around and eat ice cream while we Perfect. talk about I'm football. In. That's it. Sounds <laughs> like a great show. If I'm you guys a- want me, I'm on. I'm in. <laughs> Eric, man, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us, my friend. No doubt. Thanks. Always great talking to you guys. Don't forget, tune in for college football action tomorrow night. South Carolina hosts Texas A&M presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And speaking of the ACC, Miami NC State tied right now in the first quarter at 14 each. Uh, About three minutes left to go there. So a little action already happening right now. Speaking of college football, big breaking news out of the Pac-12 today that could mean the end of the playoffs for them. We'll tell you about it next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Pac-12 to me has always been one of the most fun conferences to watch. Washington picks it up and they start running. He got rocked. There's such a diversity of style. And Oregon's defense puts a stop to the opening drive by Utah. There's so many teams that can beat so many other teams in the Pac-12. Down the right sideline, one man to beat, 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown USC! The Pac is back, sort of. The Pac-12 trying to get back in action this weekend. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. 
presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, Saint, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Wow, good that I know our names. You can tell it's Friday, Sarah. Pennzoil Synthetic Motor Oils made from natural gas gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Uh, we'll get you a, a Pac-12 conversation in just a second, but I do want to make sure that everybody knows another Pac-12 game today was canceled. So uh, as the Pac-12 tries to get on the field, uh, they've now had two cancellations uh, going into this game. So Utah was canceled today. Utah versus Arizona. Utah does not have enough scholarship players available because of COVID-19 to actually play that game. So we'll get into what it all means in a minute. But first, we want to help you a little bit with your gambling needs. And to do that, we're going to bring in an expert from game day, the Bear, Chris Felica. This is what he thinks this weekend. We have four ranked matchups on tap, and everyone loves to see upsets, but that has not been the way these games have gone this year. If you look at the 16 uh, ranked matchups that we've had this season, uh, favorites are 13-2-1 against the number. So does that bode well for teams like Clemson, Michigan, and some others? Uh, we, we, we'll see, wait and see what happens. One uh, unbelievable note that I uh, unearthed this week is that uh, if you go back, Houston, the last 10 games have been a double-digit underdog. They've covered all of them, and that's including three times under Dana Holgerson. So the Cougars are uh, about a two-touchdown underdog against Cincinnati this weekend, so maybe you give uh, Houston an extra glance this week. Uh, obviously, the big one I just mentioned, Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame, a rare home underdog. Last four times, the Irish have been a, a home dog. They have won the game outright, so we'll see... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see which of the, uh, the the trends continues in South Bend. Uh, in terms of picks, uh, a couple of games I like this weekend. I do like Michigan laying the uh, the field goal against Indiana. I think if you do a little bit more digging on Indiana and you look at how they achieved their 2-0, they really weren't able to move the ball last week against Rutgers. They didn't move the ball at all against Penn State until that final drive. So uh, they're 2-0, but they very easily uh, could be 1-1. And uh, I, I just trust the Michigan offense. I think they moved the ball well both games. And uh, it's just hard for me to imagine Michigan uh, losing to Indiana. So I'm gonna, I like Michigan. And then I like USC in the Pac-12, uh, not only laying the points this weekend with Arizona State, but I, but I think they're worth a play to, to win the conference. It, it's been non-conference games and crossover games with the Pac-12 North. Uh, at the start of the year, which we've gotten USC off to bad starts, uh, they don't have to worry about that this year. Their crossover game is later in the year against Washington State. Uh, this is a team that is well. You look at the Pac-12 South; they're 21 and four against the South uh, the last five years. So they typically beat these teams, and they very easily could find themselves six and zero and in the Pac-12 championship game. Hope everybody has a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. You can obviously check out Felica on game day tomorrow. Coming at you live from South Bend. So Sarah. A lot of conversation here about the Pac-12 as they get kicking off uh, over the course of the weekend. As I said, two games have already been canceled. So two games canceled before they even get one game in. But also of significance, they are doing their first ever early local kick tomorrow. And, and, and it's significant just because you start thinking about what it means for the athletes. Arizona State's playing USC 9 a.m. local time. Mm. Uh, that just feels like I talked to Jim Moore today on College Football Live and coach actually said that the call time, the time to be at the stadium will be around 530 in the morning for them to get ready for this game. Like I don't I can't even figure out what you put on the pregame meal that they have at the stadium at 530 in the morning. Like what do you want to eat to get you ready for Steak a football and eggs. game? Whew. Steak and eggs. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say that's benefit and and uh, that could help them a little bit is usually as an athlete, 
Um, the best, the most important sleep is actually two nights before, not the night before. So they just need to be in bed earlier and make sure they get a, a ton of hours that, that two nights before. And then your body usually tends to react and, and get up for things, um, regardless of how unusual your sleep pattern might be the night before. It's going to be after the game that they're going to feel really crappy and maybe a day or two after the game. Um, but if they're smart about getting their rest the night, two nights before and then the night before, um, it's going to be a weird start, probably some ugly football early, and then they'll settle in. Uh, it's just it's just weird in general, Fitz. I, I, I said it on Around the Horn today. Um, BYU has already played more games already than anyone in the Pac-12 is scheduled to by the end of their season. Oh, it, they're geez. just so far behind. So they really cannot afford a slip-up. Because even if you're, let's say, a USC or an Oregon, and you go undefeated and you really look like a standout team, if you miss too many opportunities against good teams and too many games get canceled and are not able to be played, you're working with such slim margins already. It's going to be really hard to convince anyone that you belong in the playoff. I also want to at least remind everybody coming into the season that not only have they been dealing with COVID, but they've also been dealing with wildfires, right? So I feel like we're going to see particularly ugly football. And again, Arizona, Utah, uh, it was canceled before that even got going. And Cal Washington was canceled the other day. And to your point, Sarah, you know, I don't include BYU enough in the conversation. And frankly, I should. They're, they, they, they may play them themselves into the playoff conversation. It's hard for me to see the Pac-12 getting a team into the playoffs because there just isn't a lot of runway there. So when you're coming in and for whatever reason, like preconceived notions matter, no different than the fact that if Daniel Jones was drafted in the fourth round, they would have a much different view of him as a general media than they do mm-hmm. for being drafted at the top, right? So preconceived notion is that the Pac-12 might be okay. I don't think they have enough runway in front of them to disprove that notion and prove that they're better than that. And then on top of that, win a bunch of games. Now, Heather Dennett, ESPN College Football Reporter, was on with KJ and Z this morning as she talked a little bit about the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and why there's some similarities there. The Pac-12 is in the same position as the Big Ten with no margin for error, no wiggle room, really no flexibility in terms of being able to make these games up. And there you have it. They're stopped before they're started. And all of these things are going to factor into the college football playoff conversation when that selection committee puts out its first ranking on November 24th. It seems like a fair point. I mean, the committee has a virtually impossible job anyway. You and I have talked a bunch about that. Everybody's talked about it. It's actually the the way you look at it. It's either impossible because how the hell are you comparing completely different schedules and seasons and timelines? Or it's easier because it's like, listen, we're just going to use our eyes and guts this time because there's no metrics that we can use. So everybody just deal with it. Sunglasses fall down on my face like the gif. You know, the funny thing is, you say that, and my first inclination is like, oh my God, how can we trust the eye test? Because the eye test can't be validated in a one sentence statement. But that's why I'm a weenie in front of a microphone. Like, you do have a point. <laughs> like, I keep thinking back, like, we ran a piece today where they were breaking down the numbers and the playoff probabilities across the board. And David Pollock was working with us, and Pollock actually said in my ears at one point, he said, I don't even know what we're talking about. Can we just talk about football? And there is some, <laughs> uh, like, that is a real and, and honest sentiment, sentiment. I mean, that does make sense. If I have great football minds, and in theory the playoff committee should have great football minds, then it maybe it isn't about the analytics. Maybe there's a freeing moment here where everybody could just mm-hmm. look at it and say, hey, I've watched Notre Dame. They're not that great, so why am I putting them in? Like, that, maybe you that's know what enough. Else? Is, is this the name of a team that people are going to want to watch and we're going to make money off of? Which is why it's got to be probably a USC or an Oregon when it comes to the Pac-12. A, a name team that people know. Uh, if you have a great season this year and you're a nobody, you're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, I think the entire process for the playoff committee is going to be challenged because they've told us, hey, if you lose in a blowout, you can't make the playoffs. Well, we've seen that a couple of times. Well, if you don't play any quality opponents, you can't make the playoffs. We're going to see a lot of teams that don't play any quality opponents. So, they're, you know, they're just going to come out and say, hey, this is our fourth team because, well, we tried and we just couldn't figure out anybody any better. But still, the Pac-12 mm-hmm. all day tomorrow on ESPN. Be sure to check it out and be fun to watch. That much we know. Coming up next, our six-pack of picks in the NFL on Spain and Fitz. You guys are coming through with a lot of good stress-eating go-tos. A lot of the, the the ones you expect, pasta, chocolate, pizza, popcorn, ice cream, whiskey, beer. Can I eat all of bacon. those tonight? <laughs> yeah, I think you should try. Uh, we'll get to some of your go-tos for stress-eating a little later. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I had plans for something healthy, and then Stash told me it was National Nacho- Nachos Day, and I realized I have the ingredients in my house and it's going to happen. Um, we we talked about nachos on this show a while back, Spain and Company days this summer, when we were trying to figure out the perfect food to eat while watching a football game. And I think it's nachos because you get many bites. There's different toppings. And it's a good thing to, like, share at a table. Um, and, and so if we were able to go to a bar and hang out with people in the same room and watch a game, that's what I would be choosing this weekend for some of these big games. Uh, and we've got some really good games to try to pick in our six-pack of NFL picks. That's right. We make six picks every week. Fitz always picks one college football game and the rest NFL. I always go all NFL. I am 31-10. and 10. I had a bad week last week, 3-3. Three and three. Some really trash teams beat some teams that should have won. And you are 29-11-1. So uh, we're both doing quite well. I mean, 31-10 and 10 after a bad week is a statement, my friend. I mean, I'm just yeah, saying, like, people need to start listening to our picks. Oh, Let's start with your college pick. And since we don't have a sounder for it, I'm going to do it myself. Clemson, Notre Dame. Yeah, look, I'd love to tell everybody that this is going to be a super tight game. And, and I hear some of our analysts tell me that. I just don't think they're right. Ultimately, this comes down to the fact that I don't think Ian Book is going to be able to solve Clemson's defense at all. And I don't really care who's out there. They, di- they disguise their defense so well, Ian Book isn't going to be able to get it done. Also, I'm not that worried about D- DJ Uyunglele. Just wanted to prove I could say his name. Uh, because ETN is really the focus of the offense. So I think Clemson rolls. I think Clemson wins big. How do you like that? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say big, but I do think Clemson's going to get the win. My first game is uh, not surprising. I have picked the team playing the Jets every week, but I will say that this week I did pause for a moment and wonder, is this when the Jets get their first win? Because they are playing the 2-5 and five Patriots who have lost four in a row. Both of these teams have gone three straight games without a touchdown pass, okay? This wow. is ugly as hell. This game should not be watched by anyone unless they are being paid to watch it. But I do somehow, some way believe that Cam Newton and Bill Belichick and the Patriots are going to find a way to not be the first win for the Jets. I still think the Patriots win this game. Yeah, I'm with you. I looked at this one for a long time, and actually for the first time all year, I didn't have the courage to pick it. Like, it just feels <laughs> like it's a little too it's a little too tight for me. So I actually stayed Bad away from it. for the Pats. Well, you know, that, that says something about the Patriots at this point. All right, uh, I'm going to go. I got to rip the Band-Aid off every week. We have to pick our favorite teams. I'm going to go straight to that, and that's Raiders taking on the Chargers. But I'll tell you, I think the Raiders are going to win this game. Now, 
I made that pick a few hours ago before realizing even more offensive linemen seem to be out for the Raiders, and I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. But Justin Herbert has been absolutely spectacular, taking nothing away from his ability. This is going to be an offensive game. I mean, both teams are going to score a lot. Both teams are going to move the ball a lot. ton of yards in this. It's going to be exciting football. But let's be real about this. The Chargers did find a way to lose to Drew Locke, and I don't think Drew Locke is very good. Derek Carr is very good. I think the Raiders are going to be able to get a lot of big plays in this one. They're going to win a high-scoring affair. Raiders have had some good wins, and and luckily for Derek Carr, Joey Bosa's out, so that's helpful to him uh, when he's trying to stay clean in the pocket there. Yeah. I wasn't certain because I've seen the Chargers do some some good things, so I, I didn't want to pick that one. I instead went for Vikings over Lions. This is another weird one, right? If you asked me even a couple weeks ago if I would have any faith whatsoever in Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, I would say no, and their record is worse than Detroit. But Matt Stafford's back on the reserve COVID-19 list. He may be able to play if he tests negative every day this week. Otherwise, it'll be Chase Daniel or I forget what that guy's name was. It David Blau? Was it? Did we decide it was Blow? I think it's was Blau. It Blau. We're going Blau. Blau. We're going Blau. Okay. Um, I just think without Stafford, I'm not putting any money on the lines. I think they were 0-8 last season when he didn't start. So because we saw a formula that worked for the Vikings, and we've we've got, you know, AP versus his old team kind of dynamic to keep an eye on, um, I think it'll be close. I don't think it's going to be a runaway for the Vikings, but I think they will use the ground game again and get the win over Detroit. I will be interested to see what Dalvin Cook does in this game because it was mm-hmm. so nice to watch. I mean, like, Dalvin Cook Huge. is so good that maybe even Kirk Cousins can't screw it up. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> so, you know, a little positivity there. Uh, I didn't pick that game, though. I was a little too nervous about it. So I went with what I think is an easier one, and it's uh, in the AFC South. Houston taking on Jacksonville. And look, Gardner Minshew not going to play uh, at this point. Jacksonville is really trying to play for the top pick in the draft. Houston may not be great. Uh, as you know, I've said all year, I didn't think they were going to be very good. But Deshaun Watson is still the quarterback, so he's going to be Jacksonville. Houston wins this game, and it, frankly, I think pretty easily. Yeah, I actually picked this game too, and Ooh. I was tempted not to because when you see two one and six teams playing each other, chances of the, there being – any consistency week to week that you can count on is probably pretty low for teams that have one win apiece. But to your point, the fact that we'll be seeing Jake Luton, a six round pick, uh, who I, to be honest with you, had not heard of until today when I was researching for these games, hasn't taken a snap since 2019 when Oregon State played Washington State. Uh, it just not a guy I have a lot of faith in. And you still got Deshaun Watson. You still got some talent on that Texans team. So I'm going Texans in this one too. Look at us finding some common ground. Let's see if you pick this one too. I, I looked at this game a bunch and I kept looking at the brands and I was afraid to pick it. And then I remembered, oh wait, the Cowboys stink. So Steelers are going <laughs> to absolutely kill the Cowboys. Well, you just have this moment <laughs> where you think Steelers, Cowboys, that's going to be a good game. And then it's, oh no, it's not at all. The Steelers are going to roll on this one. Shouldn't even be a close one. And uh, look, I, frankly, I feel, I feel in this one, I feel like the Cowboys don't even stand a, a fair chance, obviously not knowing what they have at the quarterback position. They're going to get thumped. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't need to give you any analysis. If you're not certain why I would pick Steelers over Cowboys here, then perhaps this is the wrong show for you. And perhaps sports is not your thing. I'm not telling you to go away. I want you to hunker down and listen to the show. But maybe do a little reading on the Cowboys and what their season looks like and what they plan to do at quarterback for this game. And then check back in with us. I'm going Steelers. I like that. I, You know, I'm a big believer in any given Sunday, but I'm also a big believer in not you, fat Jesus. It feels like that one is the uh, <laughs> swear on that one. All right. Next up for me, just because I was, you know, there were a lot of tough games this week. I, I'll admit that I struggled. 
So I decided that I would take one not because the opponent's bad, but because the winning team is so good. Kansas City's taking on Carolina. Carolina's been better than people expect, although it's been a little bit up and down. Uh, Kansas City's just, they're great. And I know the Carolina young secondary's played better than most people thought they would, but that's not against Kansas City. So Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and the whole group continue to roll for Kansas City. Yeah, I'd pick this game too, obviously. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is is a big addition, and him coming back is a nice plus for a Panthers team that, like you said, has had moments of shine, uh, and then other times when you've kind of been befuddled by their performance. Uh, but regardless of adding McCaffrey back in, the Chiefs are just a significantly better team, and that offense can't be stopped. They're averaging almost 40 points in their last two games that Carolina defense isn't going to be able to hang, so I'm taking Chiefs over Panthers. Yeah, I think the battle between the two cities and bar- barbecue is better than the football game will be. Okay, <laughs> uh, my last one, I did take a tough one. I decided, you know what, challenge myself. No, I was just scared of all the rest of them. I believe Lamar <laughs> Jackson has a bounce-back game. I said it earlier. Mm-hmm. I believe Phillip Rivers is a liability. I said it earlier. I'm going to combine all that and put my money where my mouth is. I think the Ravens are going to thump the Colts. I uh, I was scared of that one, too. I think the Ravens, but I was not confident in all in that pick. The Colts definitely have a chance if Lamar Jackson gets behind and if he makes mistakes. I have to pick my Bears, and so I'm going to pick that game, but I am not picking my Bears. I'm picking the Titans for a number of reasons. Oh. Uh, the main one is the COVID situation for the Bears, and they could be without four of their offensive linemen from week one. And they they have a terrible run defense, so a matchup with Derrick Henry is about the worst possible thing. Mitch Trubisky is injured, so if anything happens to Nick Foles, I don't, I, I don't even know if their third stringer is available. I think there was a, maybe a COVID scare there, so who the hell knows. I saw somebody from uh, the Chicago market doing a rundown of the emergency quarterbacks, and apparently Khalil Max got a good arm, so that might be fun if things get real weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Derrick Henry is going to run all over him. Um, and the Bears offense is, is probably going to be anemic yet again, especially with the bad offensive line when the statue of Foles is already struggling. The only possible bright side would be the Titans' inability to get to the quarterback, which we've seen. Uh, but this is unfortunately a pretty easy call for me. The Titans get the win. And that's that. That's our six-pack. We'll have to see if I do better this week. What were you, 4-2 and two last week? Uh, yeah, I was 4-2 and two last Not week. Not too bad. Not, Not too bad. bad. I was 3-3, three and three, my worst week yet by far. Let's hope this is a bounce back for me as well. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, ESPN app, Apple, iTunes, all that stuff. Uh, we do some fun pre- and post-show stuff that you can only get on the podcast sometimes. Coming up, it's Friday. we got to talk about stress eating and how we're going to spend our weekend. It's coming up next. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and America, we did it. We made it to the end of this hellscape of a week. It's Friday! Fitz, do you punch the air at the end? I punch the air. Uh, right when it goes, and then uh, I go punch, punch, like that uh, Brad Pitt gift from Thelma and Louise. Uh, I was more doing two hands in the air looking like I was uh, maybe spinning around a wheel, uh, like a hula hoop with my wrists, like two hands oh, are going okay. like a like whole a double, thing. Like, yeah. like a double um, 
uh, Arsenio Hall, like a uh, no, no straighter arms, but then yeah, uh, yeah, it's hard to describe really. Like mm-hmm. it's Spencer, like the Trump were, dance, like, where it looks the, like he's pleasuring two giraffes at uh, the same time. N- 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 mm, no, I'm gonna go with the strong no on that. Uh, but Spencer, you know what I'm talking uh, about. You've the, seen the video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spencer that works on the show is looking like I don't think he's ever gonna see me the same at this <laughs> you point. Described it perfectly. Okay, yeah, I've got, I've got two hands up in the air, and it's like I got, and there's hula oh, hoops you know what? No, them? it's like I'm I'm spinning a pizza. That's what I'm doing. I'm oh. spinning. A pizza. Okay, I, I'm picturing it. It sounds <laughs> terrible. You sound oh, like a awful. really bad dancer. It, it, no, it's 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 really it's stunning how terrible I am at that. Like it's it's not like I, I want to joke about it, but it's awful. Like it's okay. I, I missed that gift. Yeah, we talked about that in the uh, after party the other day because we yeah. talked about Dancing with the Stars and how you know some people who were terrible. previously in boy bands have a bit of a, a plus, but you, despite being in a boy band and uh, Google it, everybody was named Shiloh. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I won't make you Google it. I'll, I'll go ahead and find the photo for you. Perfect. And I'll put it up on Perfect. Twitter yes. and everybody can see you in all of your boy band glory. And uh, somehow you didn't learn any dancing in that in that phase of your life. No, I was I was you know I was the instrumentalist guy. You know I I was busy playing a lot of instruments. You like, were working the wood. Yeah. Yes. Of the violin, the fiddle. <laughs> oh, spade and fits on the instrument. <laughs> it's Friday. What am I supposed to do? By the way, the first thing that showed up when I searched Shiloh was the headline: Nashville goes sexy. Oh, well, that's good. Shiloh, that's... country's sexiest band. Well, you know what? I think it's probably appropriate. Like, I, you know, I, I, I think I, I, no, I got nothing. I got nothing for that, you know? It's his heyday. Ah, those it was were... post-Jason Fats and pre-Sports Jason. The... That was really, that was your peak. Those were times, you know? Those the, were the, times. The Jets have football players and those were times. after the barbershop quartet? That the barbershop quartet evolved into that. So you hmm. know, we went from a barbershop. Yeah, I got my first record deal. Once you found the sexy, uh, yeah, that's exactly. when you that's when you turned the corner. I got my first record deal standing in the uh, president of Capitol Records. Uh, we were standing in the office of him, and we sang the the four of us at the time sang an acapella like a whole Beach Boys medley. And he was like, "All right, I'm signing this. This is awesome. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it." Then he looked at me and he's like, "And you." You are not cool. So grow the hair out, like do something. I don't know. This this does not work, but this does work. So uh, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Your hair grown out did not make you look cooler. I I've seen the photos. But the, the glasses funny, you're right. And the long hair was not a great look for you. But the funny thing is, when I went to cut it, everybody in my life was like, uh, I hated the hair. I always hated the hair. But every record label we were ever on was like, you not cool. Keep the hair. Change the glasses. <laughs> and inevitably, when I went to cut my hair, everybody was like, no, you can't cut your hair. And then I cut my hair off. And they're like, oh, you should have done that a long time ago. Yeah, like, that's, that's haircut that's, 101. That happens. Yeah. That yeah. happens. Uh, speaking of things I should have done a long time ago, eat. I am starving because for the millionth time, we made the error of asking people about food that they like in the middle of a show. And now I've just been staring at, like, amazing potato wedges with, like, some sort of chili Sour cream sauce. Everybody's sharing their stress eating things. Uh, on the Spain and Fitz Nation, um, at not underscore Gabriella hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, This is so weird, but when I'm stressed, I go hard on prosciutto. Oh. The bonus is that it makes me thirsty, so I drink water, which I can forget to do when I'm on deadline. I will say that is the first time I've heard someone say when they stress eat, they go hard on prosciutto. I'm just waiting for somebody to be like, I need a charcuterie board now. <laughs> like, that is that is amazing. I mean, a cheese plate is a tremendous choice for stress eating. Yeah, I, just, I mean, I, uh, that's... Uh, Rick Middleton said, this week, pecan pie and grocery store cinnamon rolls. Uh, mm. I don't blame you, Rick. It's been a long week. Uh, Thor Wodenson 
uh, wants to crush some barbecue pulled pork nachos right now. I do too. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think once you say it's National Nachos Day, it's hard not to just fulfill every dream that you have about nachos. I mean, you can literally put anything on nachos and I'm good with it. And then the other okay, side of well, it is- Well, now you're, now you're going to get yourself in trouble and you're going to be one of those that. radio guys that's been asked to eat- you know, horse poop on a nacho. Okay, within reason, let me okay. say it that way. But the other thing, like, edible substances. You were talking <laughs> earlier about how like the nacho is the perfect game food. I think part of the reason is like even if nachos have been out for hours, you still reach over and still you get good. you some, and you're like, God, those are like if they're if they're fresh or if they're four hours old, you're still eating the nachos. And you can't say that about like you know fried corn dog bites. Like so- it's a much different world. Let me ask you this, because this is a take that I have that many disagree with. And Stan Van Gundy, who is a regular on the Levitard show, is now the new head coach of the Pelicans. Won't be hearing him on Levitard as often, which is a bummer. I found that Stan and I agree on almost everything in life, from the nominal to the extremely important. And one of the things we agree on is that the best chip and dip is for the chip itself to be plain flavored, and then the dip to be where you get whatever flavor you want. So you get a plain Lays and then you put it in a sour cream and onion dip, or you get a plain tortilla and then you put it in a guac. I'm not for the pre flavored chip where the chip itself is supposed to contain all of that flavored magic because to me that's just chemicals made to taste like that flavor instead of a real dip made of those things. So I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you on the potato chip. Like I want a plain potato chip and a fancy dip. I'm all in on that. Um, but there are times like I, I don't always have to have a chip with the dip. So like there are times that I don't mind the like cheese and sour cream type uh, potato uh. chips as long as they're like I'm not dipping them in anything or like the uh, the tortilla chips that have the hint of lime. I'm good with that as long as Ooh, I'm not dipping the hint, hint of lime. lime. You hate I'm a hint so of lime? I'm so angry. I'm so angry when I go to a Mexican joint and I get a side of chips and guac and then I taste the first chip and they put the hint of lime. It makes me so mad. I, I'm I'm not anti hint of lime. You just got to be careful what you dip oh. it in because it can really make things like go. Hint awry. of lime ruins everything. It ruins. It stashes with me. No hint of lime. Yuck, no. Yuck. No hint of lime. I, I, that's a that's a surprising take. I I yeah. I, I never would have yeah. seen that coming. Also, does it change your mind at all that there was a guy and he was part of the fast food and and like I think Lay's company or something. And uh, he, he was on The Daily Show explaining how they sit in a lab and they figure out the exact chemicals to make you eat as many chips as possible without getting full, but also make you want to keep eating. And it's like blue number five and like dexahaligadudugadin number 22. Like, doesn't that make you not want to eat chips that are like full of 8,000 chemicals that are made to taste like a real thing? Why wouldn't you just eat the real thing? Because, you know, if I can eat a bunch of chips and not get totally full, that sounds like a great night. I mean, I can just keep eating and eating and eating my chips. I think I'm a control freak. And the idea of someone <laughs> tricking me with, with their chip making angers me. Uh, we hope is you guys trip, go stress Is that chippery? It, it's trip. It's trippery. <laughs> Freddie up at Simmons coming up next. I'm going to go eat some nachos forever and ever.